All right, Bitcoin accumulation country, it's your host, Coin Icarus, and this is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast, sponsored by Crypto Cloaks 3D Printing. For all your 3D printing needs, check them out. Now, normally, I would do a, uh, a swan advertisement at this point, um, but I felt it was important to, uh, to let the listeners know that um, Swan is no longer going to be uh, sponsoring this, uh, this podcast. Um, when I originally started, um, I had decided to, you know, because I, I like the, uh, the product and everything, and I had decided to essentially do advertisement for Swan on my podcast, um, you know, free of charge. And um, anyways... I um, had done this for several months, and I feel that in order to respect, you know, myself and my listeners, um, yeah, you know, if uh, you know, if if they're not if they're not going to compensate, you know, for you know for the time and efforts that uh, that I spent in doing this, then uh, I, I don't feel that uh, I don't feel that uh, this relationship uh, needed to uh, to continue. So, anyways, just wanted to to let everybody know. I still think that it's a great product and it's a great service for the people who want a DCA. Um, but I will no longer be uh, advertising for them on this podcast. Anyways, so I sat down with Mister Cool BP. Um, he is the co-owner of the What the Fuck Happened in 1971.com website, along with Heavily Armed Clown. Anyways, I only sat down, I sat down with Mr. Cool BP, not Heavily Armed Clown. And yeah, we talked about, you know, what the fuck happened in 1971 and um, just a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of different uh, perspectives on, you know, money and value and um and we had a good time. So, anyways, look, I'm not going to waste your guys' time anymore. Without further ado, here is my chat with Mr. Cool BP. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. Joining me today is the uh, co creator of What the Fuck Happened in 1971.com, uh, Ben Prentice, or as he is known on Twitter. Uh, at Mr. Cool BP. Now, I've had Mr. Cool BP on the podcast before. Uh, last year, we did the the rabbit hole story and everything like that. Um, but you know, Ben is a, a like a, a well of incredible information um, that relates to the you know money printing and central banking and gold and the gold standard. So you know, I figured. Why not? Let's do this again. Uh, he's a great guy with lots of knowledge. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining me on my show. Yeah, man. Happy to be back. Uh, you know, you watch all those people like Pierre Richard and they go on one of these uh, these podcasts and they're like, oh, this is like your fourth appearance and you're you're tied with Michael Goldstein or something. And like, I, I don't know. I'm not a contender for that yet, but I feel like it's a <laughs> second second appearance. You know, I'm, I'm on my way. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I think so. Absolutely. There's only uh, what is it? I think. Uh, Dur Gigi um, has done, uh, he's done now three appearances. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I'll you're definitely, you, yeah, you're, you're up there though. I mean, you're definitely up there. Um, okay. So look, um, we're, we're going to, we're going to dive right into it. Um, you know, before, okay. I actually want to ask you, so why, why did you start that website with heavily armed clown? Uh, shout out to him as well. Yeah, man. Um, he and I, man, we just, we're monetary nerds, right? So like we spend a lot of time just chatting back and forth about like this and that, and we do a lot of research, monetary history and the data 
man, when you look at it, it's like, wow, we, we know that, you know, we went to pure fiat money starting in 1971 and like, look at all this data. It's crazy. And we, um, you know, we saw this guy Malik on, uh, on Twitter talking with uh, Pierre Richard kind of going back and forth. And, and they, they kind of said WTF happened in 1971. So we'll credit, we'll credit them a little bit. And we kind of just posted that meme on the, that, that question on the top of a, of a WordPress blog. And we started just throwing these charts up there and just, it was, it was a tool that we could use to like show people when we're trying to art, you know, argue with them on Twitter. And we never really thought it would become a big thing. And um, it, it kind of has been a big thing uh, <laughs> since, since we've talked. I mean, it was shilled to um, Ted Cruz, uh, a sitting Senator um, by Eric Weinstein on a podcast. Uh, so, I mean, that's crazy. Like it, it's organic growth. We see a lot of the growth come from Twitter, but like also Reddit and um, you know, some of the chans sometimes it'll pop up there. It's really fascinating to watch um, that this this meme is really powerful that, you know, what did happen in 1971? And it's funny to hear all the explanations and stuff, but uh, it's, it's certainly grown to be much larger than we ever thought it would be. Okay, so I did not know about the shilling of that on the podcast. I did not know that that happened. So kudos yeah. to you guys. That's amazing. I love when I see stuff like that, right? Like that it just shows the... Um, it shows the power of strong uh, of strong signal information. Like, look at that. It breaks through every single barrier. It didn't have to come from, like, you know, one of their friends or anything like that. It was something that you guys decided to put together, and it just totally killed it, you mm -hmm. know? So, okay. Um, so the obvious question is, what the fuck happened in 1971? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> WTF happened in 1913, and WTF happened in... <laughs> 1933, 1929, and um, 1944 too, right? Like these, to understand monetary history um, requires like more than just asking this question, but that's why we ask the question and not answer it because it really is a, a long story and it's hard to answer. And it's funny because, you know, I, I pop up in, uh, in clubhouse rooms, which I know you wanted to discuss at some point, And I sometimes yes. I show up. So when people see me, they're like, oh, WTF happened in 1971. And sometimes they're joking, but sometimes they actually want an explanation. It's like, man, <laughs> how much time do you have, right? Because I think it's a really long story that goes Ooh. even back beyond 1913. It is, it is the multi-hundred and if not multi-thousand year story of the failure of gold. And, and, and that's, that's really funny because like even Keynesians will tell you that gold failed. But they'll tell you gold failed because they, they couldn't print more gold. Uh, and I'll tell you gold failed because uh, it's not portable enough. It's not verifiable enough. Um, and mm. I mean, ultimately, Bitcoin is scarcer than gold, but that's not really how it failed. Right. So like and that's that's a hard thing to explain to people that it's it was the portability of gold that that allowed its failure and that that was a, a multi hundred year process. Um, and, and people don't really understand. I mean. People don't really understand money or, or that gold was the one money of the world and why we use paper today, right? The paper was a scaling solution for gold. And so was silver, right? Silver was a scaling solution for gold because gold was too dense um, at certain transactional mm -hmm. volumes. Um, and then paper money, the second layer solution, this is a Sapidine quote, to be fair, uh, second layer um, gold beat first layer silver um, as a scaling solution. Yeah. Um, and it did. Paper paper beat gold, but papers, as we know, also has other trade offs that you know we would we would deem probably not not good trade offs to make. But to understand this story as like an eventuality, and this is a kind of another Safedine esque thing, is that the eventualities of the technologies available to humans at the time 
that these are the monies that we use. They're based on the technologies that were available. Um, it, yes, there is the whole, th listen, there is the whole, you know, um, Jekyll Islands thing. Um, there are bankers that, that certainly profit off these things. Um, but to understand that there wasn't a better option until Bitcoin came along, that is, is something that I think few understand, <laughs> if I can. Um, sorry. So what I, what I do is I, I write notes while you're talking because these are, th these are great quotes. Uh, I, I think that that's a fantastic point that people really fail to recognize what you just said about the money that is being used is, is related to the technology that's available. Um, okay. Before that though, you, you made a, another excellent point about how gold, you know, the story of gold is essentially this like over thousand year failure. Um, I, I read uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and that was by far one of the most fascinating books I had ever read. I was not aware that, you know, we are currently in the fifth iteration of our Federal Reserve. Like, this has failed already four times before um, for, you know, varying reasons that all look very similar, right? They, they just keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, so I, I guess I, I guess the, uh, you know, the, the real... Um, the thing I always wonder is, is it really intentional that we are not taught what money actually is? Because yeah, I, I, it starts to feel that way, right? It really does. Um, and and maybe that's just them being embarrassed that they know how, how messed up the system is. But like I said, there wasn't ever anything better, right? So, I mean, to, to blame, you know, like greedy politicians or bankers or whatever, I think is kind of missing the point. It's not incorrect to do. But it's kind of missing the point um, because there, there wasn't a better option. And to use gold, it didn't satisfy our wants as, as a global society because it couldn't, you know, I, I actually heard somebody in Clubhouse, uh, there's another Clubhouse reference recently, uh, this guy named Hector, uh, and I didn't even get a chance to follow him. He ended up leaving the room before I followed him. So I don't know who it was. So anonymous Hector, whoever you are, <laughs> said, and, and this is really interesting. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's not end all be all of understanding this whole gold failed thing, but it is, it is a helpful kind of. Um, metric to understand that when gold really started to fail is when we could start to move information more quickly than the underlying base asset. So you could move. So, so around the time yes. that the telegraph came around and they could start moving information at the speed of light and not at, you know, the speed of a boat, then all of a sudden the information could travel more faster or faster. And, uh, and, and by the way, it's, it's more complex than that because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, how do you ship, you know, $10 billion worth of gold across the, the ocean to trans, you know, to settle between two two nation states or two very large companies, for example, it's no trivial task, right? So, um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. So you know what? You just made me think of this, right? Rather than solving the hard money, the sound money problem, instead what we did was we created a custody problem. I mean, right. obviously under the guise of a solution, right? It's the custody solution. Hey. The third parties, we're here to help you out. We're a trusted third party. But really what we did was we created a security hole and we also kind of, you know, maybe intentionally or not intentionally created our own little money prison. Um, because now, you know, these people control and, and, you know, okay, fine. You know, they didn't have Bitcoin, but technically they're controlling the keys. Right. Because at the end yeah. of the day, they're not actually transferring the gold. They're just giving you um, the I, I guess the ability to 
um, spend it or use it as if it was transferred. You mm -hmm. know, so even though it hasn't reached final settlement yet, the gold has not changed hands. Right. And, and you know, Nick Batia just released an amazing book about this idea of layered money and the different layers. Um, so I definitely I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've read a whole bunch of threads about it. I, I'm, I'm ordering it and it's, it's I know it's going to be good. It's called Layered Money. And it, it doesn't necessarily explain all the things I'm talking about, but it's all the underlying information you need to understand of all the layered types of systems in the current monetary regime and how he thinks, you know, Bitcoin kind of solves some of that. Because because we still have layers in the Bitcoin, you know, we already already have a second layer. Right. So yeah. uh, to understand how these monies scale through layers is important, but to also understand, like, how we kind of we just screw, screwed the pooch on some of those layers in the previous because, you know, like we said, you know, we ended up with fiat money. It was trade offs we made as a society for whatever good or bad or whatever. There was malintent in the people that 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 made us do that or whatever or help that along. And we still made trade offs. Right. We did. I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's I think it goes back to what you said. Um, we we made did with the technology that we had. Um, but unfortunately, we have the human factor. Right. And because of the human factor, this invites fear. It invites greed. Uh, it invites, you know, ego and power and all of these things. Right. All of this stuff plays out with money. So as a result, these people, right, whatever they are, groups of people who had access, as you know, to the top of the money supply, um, right, printed themselves into power, so to speak, in, in, in a way, right? They debased it for their own desire. Yeah. And I think well, that, and, that, and, that, and that's kind of where we go wrong, you know? Like well, this, this is kind of why fiat doesn't work, because humans can't be trusted. <laughs> let, let, yes, that's a, that's actually yeah. what I was going to I was going to add to that, because it's it's funny because, you know, some people say we shouldn't antagonize the gold bugs. They're on the same mission we are. And that's that's I mean, that's true. They are on the same mission, but they they haven't seen the problem of gold yet. And they say something along the lines of, oh, well, if we can just go back to a gold standard, fine. But like you didn't solve the problem at all. <laughs> right. Because the problem was the uh, benevolence of our rulers uh, or was the thing that protected our monetary supply and literally no. Uh, no Austrian, no gold bug actually, um, you know, gives any credence to the benevolence of our rulers. So it's just like this stupid false hope that we could maybe return to a gold standard and maybe stay on it. And yet we still know that there was even on the gold standard, there's still paper inflation above the price of gold. Because when we went off in 1971, well, all of a sudden the gold price readjusted to reality. So there was already paper inflation even on the gold standard. Right. Um, it was the, the rains were taken off in 1971 and everything went insane. But there was still paper inflation on top of gold. And gold, by the way, already has like about as much inflation as Bitcoin has currently. Right. So inflation is still an, an issue with gold um, if you're really thinking about an ideal money. So, yeah, it's interesting. You got to you got to fight the gold bugs on that. And you got to understand what you're talking about if you're going to do it, because they are generally under they, they get every other point. They just don't get this one point because they've never seen anything other than gold. And they dismiss Bitcoin because they don't understand it because it's too complex, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's also so, you know, this this goes back to your comment about, you know, the uh, you know, the, the technology available. Um, older people um, have this. Uh, I, I don't know how to maybe the right word, but this like desire for things to be material, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's it's like Bitcoin is foreign to them, like they can't see the same properties as gold 
in terms of uh, exchange of value because it's not physical. Not realizing that the physicality of the object is actually the least... It's, it's, it's actually uh, the least interesting thing about yeah. it. It really doesn't matter. And, and, and we're, this, we're proving that. Sorry. And no, and in this case, it's actually the detriment of this asset in the first place. Nick Zabo has. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? <laughs> just to tie it around. Um, Nick Zabo, if you just search on Twitter for gold has severe flaws, gold has severe flaws, type that into a Twitter search, and the first result or the second result or something will be a Nick Zabo thread on gold's physicality being its downfall as a money. And that's where, again, you know, I always try to give credit where it's due. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants, especially in the Bitcoin world. Nick Zabo, this one thread is like 90% of the basis for my thesis on why gold failed as money, because it's the physicality and local locality <laughs> nature of gold that, that is necessarily destroying its, its value proposition as a transactional currency due to its lack of portability, um, and not to mention the other flaws of gold, right? So yeah, yeah, the physicality, the thing that they deem the most interesting thing about gold versus Bitcoin is actually the downfall of the money. So it's hilarious. I, I, I have to I have to admit, um, you know, before, um, okay, so, you know, growing up uh, and learning about money and learning that, you know, the government prints money and all of that stuff, and you start to realize it's all fake, and then you decide, okay, I, I need to go and find different options. So what do you do? You seek gold, you seek silver. Um, unfortunately, you go take a look at equities. You start to take a look at real estate. Uh, you start to take a look at all these uh, these other things. And I, I have to admit, um, gold never appealed to me. And it was because of its physicality. I honestly could not give a shit that it was... A physical gold, but I had zero desire to own shares in a gold company either. Mm. I, I don't know. It just to to me, it already seemed. Uh, anyways, you know, it, it just seemed like it was already done. Well, you know, it's you like this old thing that people are hanging on to because it's nostalgic. Well, speaking of an old thing that people hang on to because it's nostalgic, um, <laughs> and and this might be getting a little ahead of ourselves into the uh, you know hyper Bitcoinization is inevitable mm -hmm. kind of thing, but it's something I talk about a lot, and uh, you know I I tend to talk about the same things over and over again because I think it's still stuff that you know few understand TM uh, so to speak that essentially that the the whole money of the world today is arguably yes it's the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, but mm. the other reserve currency is stocks and real estate because nobody holds US dollars long term. Um, mm -hmm. So it, there, there, is a, there is a thesis that, that really heavily armed clown um, developed, but it, it, was, it was the result of many months of our conversations around these topics. And this is fascinating because you know, I mentioned Eric Weinstein earlier, he has an entire podcast surrounding WTF happened in 1971. The, the name of the fucking podcast might as well be WTF happened in 1971 <sighs> because the whole premise of the podcast is why did all this stagnation occur? Why did every, essentially everything get worse? And he, he thinks the website's really interesting. He just has this weird take on Bitcoin that um, involves weird word salads that nobody can understand. Yeah. But that aside for a second, um, my point was that he, one of the things that he goes over and actually is a really good point is the increased financialization of the world post-1971. Of course, you know most Bitcoiners can look at this and say, oh yeah, there's a problem of the money. But to understand this a little bit better, to delve into this, this is really important thesis, and I'll, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to do my best I can because, again, Colin developed this. But you know, 
he he goes over the example of why did a an, uh, a company like Apple that has over two hundred billion dollars of cash like assets, okay, two hundred billion dollars of cash, why would they borrow money? You know, in the last ten or fifteen years, why would they borrow money? Okay, and the reason they can borrow so money cheap. and it well, yes, that is part of it. But here, no, but you're, you're right. But it's the but the incentives are screwed up because mm-hmm. it turns out that what financialization is, and this is something that. The, you know, mainstream economists are completely missing. They're like, oh, you know, there's too much financialization. Well, why though? Why? Always get the why. The why is because that companies have found that through their satisfying of consumer wants for sound monies instead of consumer goods is more profitable. So it's more profitable to use financial engineering to create sound monies in the forms of stocks. I kid you not. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. They're doing monetary proto you know not uh, semi monetary assets um, because us dollar is the other half of that you know that it's it's kind of a shared monetary yeah. world between the two that instead of innovating and consume, satisfying consumer wants that way it's more profitable to just do the stock thing buybacks and all that oh, crap yeah. isn't that amazing it's it's actually you know what it's it's amazing and it's also sad it kind of yeah. shows you in a, in a way it kind of shows you how this system cripples ingenuity in the long run or in the grand scheme of things. We may get some ingenuity. We may get some creativity. And we may be pleased with the breakthroughs we have uh, to today. But if you ask me, they, I, I believe that they pale in comparison to what we could have um, had our money uh, you know, not become imprisoned. And this is a very good point that you bring up because think about it, right? If it's more lucrative for them to do stock buybacks, it's obviously going to be less money into R&D. It's mm-hmm. going to be less money into trying things out. They're not being, as you stated, they're not being incentivized. It's a problem of incentives and they're not being incentivized to innovate. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I know everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, but I know, you know, Apple, you know, Apple is like the stock of the world, you know, like so many people around the world love Apple. They haven't innovated a fucking thing since the iPhone. I, I mean, I, I, it's the same exact thing. The last innovator there was Steve, Steve Jobs. And I know there's going to be some people who are going to be all like, oh, Tim Cook's <laughs> a hero and he's a genius. Not a fucking genius. I'm sorry. He tacked on a couple of extra cameras. Right. That's not a genius. <laughs> yeah, like, I, anyways, so the next iPhone is gonna have seven cameras. I heard, by the way. Hey, man, just really cool. Really, I think so many cameras. Extremely innovative. Um, hey, so yes, we can actually kind of tie this discussion into the recent events, you know. And we tend to do more evergreen podcasts, but we can we can keep this relatively topical and also evergreen at the same time, um, if if that's okay with you. Oh man, um, let's go. Let's go anywhere. Any, you know. So what what the fuck happened in this week, right? Which is this whole <laughs> this whole GameStop, um, you know the, the yes fund has has Melvin so, Capital. A very brief overview. It, my understanding of the situation is that Melvin Capital um, essentially uh, made a bet, okay, mm-hmm. and that bet. So the problem with shorting a stock is that there is actually infinite downside. So they made an infinitely bad bet. And they lost infinite money right to the downside. <laughs> and what happened was uh, a lot of things. But one of the things that I think is really interesting that happened, and I, a lot of people already commented on this, but that, you know, it's essentially Vitalik came across uh, the, the United States and said, hey, can you guys stop trading now? Right. And we saw that on Rabbit Hood where they were like, no, you can't buy anymore. Right. 
Um, and I think that's fascinating because um, I think it is actually, uh, this, this is not, no, no DeFi crowd. We're not making a case for DeFi stocks, okay? Uh, I'm making a case for uncensorable money and, um, and decentralized networks that, you know, that won't allow us to stop, um, you know, the, the things that we own, do we really own them, right? And uh, I think a lot of people found out that they didn't own those Robinhood stocks. So um, I, th I thought that was one of the most interesting takeaways, but I am probably the least interesting person to ask on this in this space. But um, I just think uh, I'd throw that out there. No, yeah, absolutely. So um, you are absolutely right. And what they did essentially is they shorted 140% of the stock, which is, you know, according to anybody that can, you know, do math, fucking impossible. You know, like... They shorted more shares that were than were actually available. Mm -hmm. So this just goes to show you the, the disgusting, but this is the problem, right? The fact that a company has to do this in order to provide the gains is, is, well, is another indication of the broken system. And then what happened, right? A bunch of people just like them figured out their move, okay? And, and essentially hedged against them and won and then it was decided that the rules were not fair because the people that were supposed to win didn't. So it was right. on, only fair while they were supposed to win and they were winning. But as soon as the other side of the bet started to win because they got they gauged the long-term story better, well, well, now we need to change the rules of the game. And Robinhood, Robinhood is dead. I Don't get me wrong. I know that people think the company's not going to close. That's perfectly fine. They may not close. Nobody's going to take them seriously ever again. That name, the name itself is completely hypocritical. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, let's be honest, right. Robin Hood. Um, mm -hmm. But they are, you know, their masters are the ones that called them and told them to, to, to halt everything, right? Like, go take a look at who their customers really are. Their customers aren't mom and pops. Their customers are, um, uh, sorry, Citadel Investments. Their, right. their customers are Melvin. Their customers are these fucking hedge funds, okay? Stealing, uh, I'm sorry, not stealing because I don't, I don't want to be hyperbolic. Um, you know, um, we'll say... Um, deceiving. Deceiving into taking money from retail investors in an arena that seems to be, a, a, you know, fair game, which right. it's not. And, and I think the, the real insight I'd like to provide here, because I don't mm. feel like I invite, I really provided a lot here, is that... The reason that this is such a big deal uh, is because the is because of the previous point I was making about the collective stored wealth of the United States and, and really the world is is stored into stocks, right? And so that is amplified all of these gambling games. Because really, if you want to think about the stock market, you think about it two different ways. A, it's part gambling, right? Because speculation is a form of gambling, if you will. You're you're making a bet, right? Just like Melvin Capital made that bet. But at the same time, it's also there's fundamental investing in there, right? So, you know, you look at the we're looking at the fundamental value of GameStop and, you know, somebody was betting that, yeah, maybe the fundamental value is lower or higher than it, it is currently for whatever reason. That being said, um, as we know about under exploring our, our, our understanding of monies themselves, that that monies acquire a monetary premium, which is a value above its utility value. So in the case of gold, for example, there's a utility value of putting it in jewelry and electronics and all these things. Yet most of the value, and it's like over 80% of the value of gold, um, comes from its reserve demand. The fact that around 80% of the gold sits in central bank vaults and not in watches and, um, and jewelry and, and electronics is that same exact um, 
paradigm, right? So what am I trying to get at is that the stocks have also a monetary premium because their reserve demand as a monetary device, thus their, their values have been, uh, and, and I use the word distorted here, but we can just use the word inflated above their utility value as a speculative and equity-based investment device. Therefore, the entire game has been amplified and, and magnified beyond what it would be in a, in a sound money world, in my opinion. Thus, all the stakes have been raised, um, not to mention the, the distortions and the risk that, that come from the other problems with bad money. And thus that, you know, all these kids on Wall Street bets are sitting around looking at absolutely, you know, terrible prospects of their future and their ability to own assets. And they're all like, guess what? YOLO, bitches. Let's buy as much of this shit as possible and screw these hedge funds that are fucking benefiting from this system through the Cantillion effect and their access to uh, capital and assets and their their way that they can get in between these systems that, that you know, um, these monetary systems, the, the stock systems are monetary systems. So they they have the keys to the monetary systems, as you as you pointed out, it's completely fucking broken. And, and some people are waking up a little bit. I don't know. It's not the, the next revolution, but it's it's getting there. It's it's another another shoe that drops. It's another curtain that falls, maybe. I, I actually saw a tweet from like one of like the the Wall Street bets account uh, that actually had to do with um, you know they control the money they control the system and then you know you start to see people asking about Bitcoin mm -hmm. so right there you know to your point it may not be the next revolution right away but people are starting to make the link people you know what. They're being right now, okay, these institutions are being so stupid, they're actually, they're not even hiding in plain sight because they, they can't afford to lose. So, you know, what happened, I think, with Robinhood right now, this is, this is because they, they can't afford to lose. So they had no choice but to kind of show their hand. And, and I, think that, I, I think that this whole thing that happened with GameStop um, and Robinhood this is way bigger than people realize. And this is going to be, people are going to look back at this situation as like the, the shoe that dropped, you know? Mm -hmm. Because th th this is absolutely massive. I, I mean, you know, you always understood that these companies have the better tools, right? They have the better tools. They have access to better information. If you can afford a Bloomberg terminal... Okay, that gives you an edge to the person that cannot afford a Bloomberg terminal. If you have access to level two quotes, that gives you advantage over the person or could give you advantage over the person that does not have access to level two quotes. But this, this is straight up fucking rigged. Like th this is straight up like, oh my God, we're losing. Turn the machine off. Are you kidding me? Like back in the day, right? Like back in the day, people would get cornered in the market and wiped out. And that was normal. And, 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 and this bullshit of, oh my God, what's going to happen to all the jobs? All these people are going to lose their jobs. Look, that's unfortunately part of what happens. Okay. Yeah. And then, you... and, and we all know that the stronger company that's left behind will come in, buy the assets that are worthwhile, keep on the employees that are needed. And eventually that that company will continue to churn out products, okay, that people, you know, that people uh, value and desire. And as a result, they will hire more people. Like, I don't, like, they, I think, I think that there's this narrative, right, that, that, like, you know, this is what goes behind the whole too big to fail, you know, that, like, all of a sudden, the world is going to collapse. It's not. 
Right. They just needed us to think it would. It's the liquidation of malinvestment, you know, and that's yep. another thing that, that Heavily Armed Clown talks about a lot. And it's the liquidation of malinvestment. And, you know, you say, well, the business could fail. Well, no, Phil, because that would mean we have capitalism. Uh, it, that would mean that businesses <laughs> actually fail. Right. And today, no, we just want a zombie economy where, you know, an increasing percentage of businesses can barely make the interest payments on their their debt. Right? You know, let alone make a profit. Right. Or pay back the principal interest so, or principal instead of the interest. So. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a sad situation that we have, and it's sad that people are blaming capitalism on this stuff, and not blaming people like Melvin Capital, who made an infinitely bad bet, literally terrible downside, and vaporized their company. Because yes, although I agree with the the value direction of their bet, I would never take that risk personally because I know there's infinite downside, and they did, and they better fucking lose because if they don't lose, if they aren't liquidated, then then literally. All, nothing matters anymore. Whoever is in charge gets to decide who wins or loses, and we we don't even we don't have any kind of meritocracy or capitalism left, right? Like that, it's all over, dude. Like fuck that. It is. And then what's the point of getting up in the morning? What's right. the point of going out there? Somebody else is deciding whether you win or lose, anyways. Um, if 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 they wanted to fucking come in and say um, that that you know we have to protect investors and protect consumers and stuff, then they shouldn't have let that bet happen in the first place. If they can place the bet, then they can fucking lose it, period. Exactly. That That is absolutely right. You know? And you know what? Um... We're gonna we're gonna switch we're we're gonna switch topics though from from that because I, I think yeah, we definitely sorry I'm getting a little heated no no me too me too <laughs> I, I'm totally like b- believe me I I'm like I'm the same way about this and it's good it's good right? to be passionate right because passion passion is what uh, kind of stokes the flames um but I I kind of you know I, you, you talked about Clubhouse a bit and I kind of wanted to to touch a bit on on that uh, as well because this kind of does intertwine with it because you know um. Okay, I spent like a good like two weeks on it, and this week I, I kind of pulled back a bit. Um, I have an addictive personality, and I could easily sit there all day long. Um, so, what are your what are your first impressions, right, of uh, of the clubhouse of the clubhouse scene? Yeah, so I was, you know, I was I was not bullish on it, right? But you know, I was a pretty late adopter of Twitter, um, and I was like, well, this is stupid. You can only say like what 180 characters at a time. Nobody's going to use that thing. Well, eight years later, I capitulated on that the same way I capitulated on Bitcoin eight years later, right? Um, so Clubhouse happened a lot quick. It was a much quicker roller coaster for me because I was like, okay, so it's a chat app. Okay, so it's iPhone only. Oh, it's invite blue check mark only. Well, this is dumb. And then like, yeah, I think Brandon Quidham was on Twitter saying something about having an invite. And I was like, okay, I, I got to check this out because I keep hearing people talk about it. And it was Bitcoiners, people I respected. So I was like, okay, I was at least got to see it. And I got on it and I was like, okay, this is, it's just an audio chat room. But man, the interactions that um, we, you know, you and I have had um, with with newcomers, and also people that aren't in the Twitter space that are in the Bitcoin space. Um, I, I've I've met a, a few people now, and I feel like I know them more than I know some of my Twitter friends. Like you know, they recognize me and they recognize yeah. my voice, but that way too. But we have like a more of a rapport than I have with like people I've known on Twitter for a long time, and and the natural nature of a conversation that like you and I are having now uh, where we can go back and forth and interrupt each other and like speak louder because our point is more important or whatever. And yeah, I mean, it can cause other problems or, and, and, and not, but like can also can, it, it, it more, more closely mimics the natural communication that you have with somebody. And it also, there's another really important like um, kind of sentimental, like uh, uh, empathetic point where 
when when I hear you talk, Phil, like I, I feel like you're like a really honest person and like you're coming from this place of honesty. Mm-hmm. But if you just typed out those same words, like I don't know if you're like a Russian bot or whatever. And like, yeah, I mean, I guess <laughs> deep fakes are coming where they can like impersonate Phil and like do that same amount of like um, trustworthy, you know, beautiful sound of the tone of the voice and all that stuff. But it, it, it is a very human interaction on Clubhouse. And it's it's very, very interesting in that way. So I, I definitely understand the haters that are saying, oh, come on, come out with Android. And do you need decentralized solutions? That's great. But we should learn something from this platform because it is very interesting. And it's, it's very, very simple. Um, I feel like it's weird because like I almost want to be able to share a link with somebody. But I'm glad there's not this feed of this chat room because it, it, it is just what it is. It's, it's people talking and like you can have many, many people in the audience and those people can get brought up to the, to, to the uh, stage, so to speak. And, and there's moderation. It, it, it seems to work very well in its, in its infant state. And, I, and I'm interested to see where it goes. So but very, very interested. And like you said, I'm actually pretty addicted to it. <laughs> It's yeah, man, it, it really is. And I totally agree on all those points. Uh, for me, it's it's very important to be able to hear um, people's tone and how they speak. And uh, that does that does help increase or at least for me, um, it, it helps build more of a picture, you know, of who it is that I'm, I'm speaking with and who it is that, you know, we're you know, we're sharing ideas with. Now, something that surprised me, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I was actually, um, okay, I was surprised by a couple of things. Um, I was surprised by how many noobs uh, or, you know, people that, quote unquote, are in crypto, but only buy Bitcoin, right? They, they haven't been totally screwed into the shitcoining. So I was very surprised by that. Like these, these kind of like unsuspecting people where, you know, they you're just kind of surprised that they have Bitcoin. Um, and it's great, right? It's great. They actually kind of like know more than you, you thought they'd know, but for some reason just haven't, you know, haven't, um, fallen down the rabbit hole. You know what I mean? They're interested in Bitcoin. They get it. Um, yeah. What are your, uh, I guess like, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on the Bitcoiners in, uh, in clubhouse? Yeah, it's, um, it's it's been a really fun and and informative I think journey um, because you know I there there definitely is the crypto crowd right and there's yeah. definitely noobs that come in that understand some of the very important aspects of Bitcoin that also are like and like also is XRP a good investment too or like which other coin should I invest in you know because yeah. I think I think a lot of this problem comes with our understanding of the old paradigm where you have to put your money to work right and it it, it forgets two things one all the points I've been making about how the fact that the stock system has been magnified and amplified and like be deemed necessary to preserve your wealth, you have to gamble on it by diversifying into all these um, shitcoin stocks. That's the only way to preserve your wealth, right? Is, is, so that's that's part of the problem. Uh, and and the other part of the problem is that people don't understand Bitcoin and they don't understand money either, right? And they don't understand that the reason that number go up right now is because Bitcoin go monetization. Right. And that's where the gains are coming from. Uh, and they probably also don't understand like monetary maximalism, which is another thing I talk about a lot. So it, it's kind of tough because a lot of these answers are nuanced. But 
for what it's worth, I've gone on Clubhouse and I try to be very honest with these folks. Yeah. And if it's a, if it's a two hour long answer, I'll tell them that I'll be like, listen, I don't I can't give you the two hour long answer, but I can explain to you why it's a two hour long answer. And I'm happy to point you to any resources and please DM me on Twitter or Telegram. and We can we can keep going down further. And so far, I've only gotten one or two DMs afterward. But like the, the response that I've gotten from folks that have said, you know, Ben, thank you for doing this. And, yes. and I'm telling you. Like most of the room, you've seen a few of the rooms that I've started. It's like four or five speakers on stage and like 10 people in the audience. It's tiny little rooms. But the answer like, Ben, thank you for doing this. And thank you for like actually explaining the answer and, and not sugarcoating it and not dumbing it down for me and tell me that there is nuance here. Like, I really appreciate that. And it, that's hard to get on Twitter. It's hard to get in a medium article sometimes even. Mm -hmm. And it's, especially because it's that back and forth where they come on the stage and they ask one question and you give them a little bit of an answer and they're like, okay, but what about this and this and this and this? And it's like that really back and forth, very human interaction that I haven't really found anywhere else. And it's it, it's working out really well for me. Even if I'm only helping one noob at a time, it's like American Hoddle says, like he was gonna like, start some kind of a uh, youtube like question response thing and like he found this and it's like it's it's redeeming for him the same way it's redeeming for michael saylor to actually do something with his life rather than just sit on his seven fucking yachts like he actually feels like he's changing the world even if it's one person or one company at a time i feel like i'm changing the world one person at a time and that's worth it for me and it's fun right i i man i totally agree man preach like that that is like <laughs> that's yeah it, it it really does, you know, and and to your point, uh, people genuinely welcome the uh, the information. They genuinely welcome the you know the the fact that um, you're you're just you know you're being objective and you're being honest with them with the state of things, um, because at the end of the day, all we have is confusion out there. You know, the mainstream media is nothing but confusion. I I. I can't watch any mainstream media because you can't believe any of it and everything is all just completely, you know, narrative driven from some lobbyist that paid for who knows what and like, it's not even news. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, what, what, what even is that information? It's just information that serves to confuse. So it's nice to be able to go to a place like that and get to have, you know, these conversations. So I, yeah, I do like it a lot. Yeah, think, and... and and the last time that we, you and I, sorry to interrupt you, the last time oh, no. that you and I spoke, a lot of the, the, the themes that we spoke about was about how technology is changing our lives and how in general um, these tools, um, you know, make communication available in a way that wasn't previous and how it's a new paradigm that we have to adjust to. So this isn't just about Clubhouse, the app. I think this type of platform is really the future because it's it's already this, it's it's the podcast platform, but interactive which is so interesting as a concept. So I really do hope there are competitors to Clubhouse um, and I do hope there's a centralized alternatives to Clubhouse because I really think that this is here to stay. Yeah. Because man, I'll tell you like, as like being the, the, the what do you call it? The, the Bitcoin Sherpa and helping these noobs in these like rooms of like 10 or 15 people is really cool. The other side of it is, man, like I was in a room yesterday and like Marty Band, Pierre Richard and like, um, Nareej or whatever, and like all these, Michael Goldstein, all these huge names and like are all like sitting in the room and I'm sitting there like I can say something and I can chat with them or I can sit in the audience and like just listen to this like kind of round robin discussion podcast thing. But also it's really cool because these rooms will pop up and sometimes it'll be very topical. So like you and I probably spent a lot of the last 40 hours listening to, 48 hours listening to the friggin' uh, stuff about this GameStop. And, and it's cool because there's like this, you know, um, 
a circle of trust kind of hierarchical, like uh, somebody that we follow, right? That we've given some kind of respect to um, that, that may have good ideas. They'll start a room and then they'll put people up there that they also think are smart. And that person might bring somebody up too. And you get this really interesting, like really high quality discussion from people yes. that I don't know, you know, I've never seen before, but they have like all this, you know, really like, cause it's, it's like the decentralized crowdsource information. Um, and that, you know, some people know a lot more about stocks than I do. And then, you know, next week it might be a different topic that comes up and they're going to find that guy and bring him up there too. So I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it from both sides of that spectrum, so to speak. But I, I don't know if you want to talk about Clubhouse this long, but I, I, I really do think it's cool. Yeah, no, me too. And I do No, you know what? I, I think it's uh, it's nice, right? Uh, I don't mind talking about it this long, but we'll, we'll wrap up the, uh, the Clubhouse stuff soon. I did want to add, though, what's also really cool about it is that uh, we've gotten exposure to people um, that we maybe wouldn't have been able to or did not think to get exposure to on Twitter. Like uh, th- there's like people from like Morgan Stanley that are over there. There's like uh, th- there's that uh, that lady there who was like a news anchor for like LANBC or something like that. And she follows a bunch of us Bitcoiners. And mm-hmm. it's like so these people are getting exposure to us. Right. And they're not seeing us in this, you know, trolly, you know, toxic Bitcoin maximalist kind of way. You know, for. yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I yeah. do have to say um, that the one time I said that to somebody in real life, um, they freaked out on me and said, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. I, I kid you not. The exact words were, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're an asshole. Right. <laughs> that was exactly the, the sequence. Right. Right. It's, it's hard. It's certainly harder to say it to somebody's face. And, and that's that's kind of what I was elucidating about like the natural interaction with somebody. It's different than just typing on a keyboard. So uh, it is very cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah. So, man, that, that was uh, that was a good little rant on uh, on Clubhouse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I um, I didn't really have uh, I didn't really have too much else. I really wanted to just discuss, you know, the uh, the you know, the what. Uh, what the fuck, uh, you know, happened in uh, in 1971, you know, and just talk about this. So if uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, shoot about? Uh, I'll give you a quick little anecdote. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of the probably lesser known charts. It was added more recently as well. But I do think it's an interesting people often ask me, like, oh, what's like your favorite chart? Like, I don't have a favorite chart, but I, I have a lot of them that I think are interesting. Yeah. But the ones that few understand, uh, so to speak. Uh, I think are the most interesting, and this one is um, energy consumption per capita in the U.S. Um, that over time, and this isn't this is over a 200-year chart, okay? Yeah. The energy expenditure, and we kind of alluded to this earlier and talked about, um, you know, the advancement of civilization and how we measure that stuff, was on an exponential curve, essentially. This this logarithmic curve of increasing energy production, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about innovation and what stopped in 1971. Well, in 1971, essentially it just goes flat. We stopped using more energy. And it's funny because you have all these people today saying, oh, we're, we're using too much energy and stuff. But like, if you look at like, you know, the, the concept of the Kardashev scale of these type one, type two, type three civilizations that, you know, first ha- harness all of the energy on their planet and then harness all the energy on their sun and then harness yeah. all the energy in their galactic system and then harness all the energy in the universe. Like we should be using more and more and more energy, right? Maybe not all just petroleum products because obviously that won't work on a galactic scale. But like we should be using more energy and, and we know that Bitcoin not only like incentivizes the most efficient energy production in the world, but also I think it's very fascinating in 1971 that our energy production slowed to a halt, right? 
So that's actually really interesting point. And I, and I, I feel like I read the same uh, Bitcoin article about, um, you know, harnessing the somebody somebody wrote something very recently about that or not recently, but like maybe in the last year or so. I recall reading something about that, um, how like we should be learning to uh, harness, like you said, harness the energy of Earth and then eventually harness the energy of the sun and then harness the energy of like our galaxy or whatever it is. And it, which essentially projects us further and further out, mm -hmm. you know, into the universe and, and whatnot. But it's it's really interesting point that in 1971 that curve goes flat and you know we go back to talk about where um kind of our innovation is in a prison maybe it's in a prison because of our energy use maybe it's because we're not discovering and using these higher energy sources these better energy sources so our actual levels of innovation are depleted and they're held prisoner because they're pretty much the byproducts of fossil fuels mm -hmm. you know like that's as far as we've gotten here we are you know and the energy energy um the energy market is so subsidized by the government on both sides i mean on the green side and on the fossil fuel side too um just in massive amounts of subsidies and, it, and my, my thesis is essentially if if you uh, play it out to the logical extreme of hyper bitcoinization mm -hmm. it, it's it's infeasible to subsidize any uh, energy any energy at all because eventually the Bitcoin miners just grow and absorb and, and take all that that uh, the energy subsidy. They'll find a way and just route around it and stuff. So eventually the real cost of energy is exposed. And uh, I think that's a good thing because cost is a price signal and that yeah. tells the market what to produce and, and how much. So I hope hope that sound money fixes this. I really do. <laughs> okay, so this sounds to me like you're going to be releasing an article about this or <laughs> or you already did or... No, not yet. Yeah, not yet. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Might, seeds, maybe it might be a good write-up. I, I think, like, uh, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting. I think it's a really interesting point, and I don't think uh, people spend enough time, you know, really thinking about it and talking about it. So, I'd be, I'd be interested in reading a, a cool BP article about that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, All right. Well, look, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna wrap it up. Um, Man, I really appreciate you coming on my show. This was really cool to uh, to get to shoot the shit uh, with you, you know, about Bitcoin once again, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, if uh, you want to find me, like I said, I try to say this on every podcast, yep. but uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. DM me. My DMs are open, and uh, let's have a chat or Telegram, too. Same same at, so. Cool, and uh, we will put a link to uh, – we're going to put a link to your contact information and a link to your website in the show notes. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hope everybody enjoyed my chat with uh, Ben. Um, his details will be in the show notes along with a link to what the fuck happened in 1971. And of course, as always, if you want to reach me on Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening and catch you all next time. <laughs>